and and I think each generation is influenced by all of these cultural things. A lot of it is technological advancement, but a lot of it's just societal change. Yeah. And I like I don't think that's a bad thing, but it is something at least to recognize, which is kind of why I think that the generation labels, while they can end up being a pain in the ass and mostly used for marketing technique, I find them that they can be useful in at least helping to identify certain behaviors. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. uses bad words. If you don't like bad words, maybe say listen to it. <laughs> we didn't become obsessed with these labels, these generational labels, until the late 20th century. The woman who should perhaps be given credit for starting the train was novelist Gertrude Stein, who reportedly first coined the term the lost generation to describe the people who were born roughly between 1880 and 1900 and who had lived through World War One. All right. So Hemingway jumped into that. And he's from these minor beginnings. We now have generational categories that seem to define exactly who people are based exclusively on when they were born. Sort of like astrological science, casting individuals into large groupings in some sort of mystical horseshit to explain why someone born July is aggressive or someone born in February is elusive. Here are the, this is the list that I found and I like. The Greatest Generation, born 1901 to 1924. Silent Generation, born 1925 to 1945. Baby Boomers, born 1946 to 1964. Generation X, born 1965 to 1980. Millennials, born 1981 to 1996. Generation Z, born 1997 to 2012. And now Generation Alpha, born 2013 to 2025. Now, here are the observations I made, then I'll tell you what I redid. First, the label maker became stunted after the baby boomers. Generation X sounds cool, but it's really only a definer of a random generation rather, rather than something specific about that cohort. Following up with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, it loses all its cool. It's just fucking lazy. Two, each subsequent generation is shortened. The greatest generation is 23 years, Gen X is 15, and Gen Alpha is only 12. That makes no sense. These are quite specifically, <laughs> it just makes no fucking sense. Like, did the generation suddenly just get less? No. Okay. Uh, these are quite specifically American labels. No one Chinese born in China in 1900 is a part of the greatest generation as utilized. This task of marking each generation is about the replacement of one to the next, the obsolescence of the old and the next group coming up to bat. And from a micro macro view, it kind of seems like a defining difference is that for each generation, the the future looked brighter in the past, that, that as we've gotten closer to now, the future from Gen X on has looked less and less bright. It's looked less and less and so what I did is I decided I, I was going to, uh, basically, I'm just going to say, I'm going to make a new list. Not that anybody's going to follow yeah. it, but I'm going to make a new list. So I wanted, first of all, I wanted to, because that was one of the other things I didn't observe, is that 
some of the names of those lists are based on when they were born and some were when they came of age. You know, the greatest generation was not known as the greatest generation because they were born in 1900 or or whatever it was. It it was because of their. Okay. So I said, I'm going to focus. It was Tom Brokaw with his book, The Greatest Generation. He called it the greatest generation. Yeah. Yeah. That's what coined the term. So that was like 19. That was in the 80s. 89 or something. Yeah. It was like in the 80s. But uh, we really kind of got crazy. So I changed them all. And basically what I I focused on was when they came of age, between 15 and 18 years old, not when they were born. All right. So born 1900 to 1920. These are 20-year generation. All of them. Sorry. I just, I have to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get into this. So I just looked it up. The Greatest Generation was published in 1998. Mm. So what were they called before that? Because like 1998, let's see, my grandparents, my dad's parents were 22 and 24 is when they were born. So that would have made them uh, 70, you know, the ass end of their life, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> before their generation got, was called the greatest generation. They were retired. Yeah. They were sitting on their ass or playing golf. They this is a pretty, this is a relic- great anymore. They had already fucked it all up. Well, I don't think that, yeah, the thing is, I don't think they were known as the greatest generation, but Gen X was coined earlier than that, I believe. Because yeah. I, that was coined by yeah, uh, yeah. Doug that, Pope well, in his book, Generation X, which was 1980. Yeah, exactly. So Generation uh, X. Was, 1991, sorry. 1991. Okay, but it was still earlier. All right. So anyway, what I decided to do is I tried to, first of all, I decided to make each generation a 20-year yeah. span, because that technically is what is known. That's what a generation is, 20 years. 20 to no. 25 years is yeah. the standard. So I stayed with 20. Um, I decided to name them based on when they came of age. You know, when they, when they were actually like 17, 18 years old, what was going on in the world um, and what was the most significant thing in, you know, as a definer of that generation. Um, and we lost a generation in the process. Okay. So we've got, yeah. you know, they're like, they're like car keys. You just, well, it all mushes together. So sneaky. Yeah. So from born 1900 <laughs> to 1920, I'm calling them them the lost generation because they were 17 and 18 years old, 16, 17 and 18 years old during world war one. They're the ones that went to fight and die. So they're the lost generation. The second generation born 1921 to 1941. I'm calling the Nazi killers because they were the the 1941 didn't kill the Nazis. No, they, they, but they, they were the generation that went to go, to war. They were the generation that was mostly drafted into World War II. Or they were born during the war. No, well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about... 1941. The, yeah, well, but the, the thing is, if you were born 1941, yeah, you're not a Nazi killer, but for the most part, and I guess yes. I had to, you have to pick well, somebody, I'm talking about the first, that, yeah, that, yeah. that first coming of age. Um, but they grew up in a time that was yeah, reflected yeah, by yeah. what was going on with the war and exactly. the depression and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, right? 19, 1942 to 1962, currently basically called baby boomers. I'm calling them the rock and rollers because the two most significant things in American history that was happening during that time beyond, you know, I mean, because you know, when you're four years old, who gives a fuck about World War II? But their coming yeah. of age, their coming of age happened when rock and roll started to ascend and it replaced jazz and um, high school. I mean, high schools existed since the 1840s, but it wasn't 
codified across mandatory across the entire country until somewhere in the 40s and that was and when the term the first wave rock and roll yeah yeah exactly and, and that's 62 was two years before the beatles came to yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah this is the this is the wolfman jack yeah yeah, yeah early shit right this then, is buddy holly's music you know it, let's, exactly. let's hold hands on a roller coaster and well, when, the when when the when the term rock and roll was coined yeah you know yeah. all right then uh 1963 to 1983 this is you and i i calling us the cynics and slackers thank you for finally we are the cynics and slackers well when, we are the same generation well when i from 1963 to 1983 i changed it so yes we are uh, buddy, if you look at your go back to I, the story, you say Generation X, blah blah blah, five to nineteen eighty. Okay, the cynics and slackers, and uh, and I and I have a whole list of reasons why, but I think the biggest reason is we were the first generation to really get hit right in the face with both an incredible distrust of the government and big business for the first time in the history, like really, like you had. You know, the assassination when we were born, the earliest is Kennedy. Then you had Martin Luther King. You had the civil rights struggle. You had Vietnam. You had yeah. fucking uh, you had Nixon. Nixon, you know. So we're, we're hit with <laughs> with this sudden America is kind of a piece of shit. On the other hand, we came of age during Reagan, which was a thousand points of light and greed is good. Well, that was and we, Bush, but. Or whatever Reagan. Yeah, did. yeah, but yeah. Sorry, he was yeah. he was he was the rah rah. Okay. Yeah. Then the next generation, born eighty four to two thousand and four, I'm calling the Internet Generation or iGen. Oh, because look at you. Yeah, look at me go. Um, because look that, at you, old man. The, the most significant thing that happened during that particular generation was this eleven. No, that's not the most significant I'll thing that happened. You. Yeah, fine. Dare you? They came of age then, but the thing about it is, the internet suddenly was this boon to communication, this boon to a, mankind. A great way to watch it was something out of buildings on nine eleven. Exactly, it was the, it was this big thing, and it turned out not to be God, what's quite wrong with me tonight. And then the the last generation, two thousand and five to twenty twenty five, I'm calling Generation Screen. Oh, bro. because that generation, they've never known life without having multiple screens in their face, pretty much dictating everything from their dating life to their economic life to their fucking news, everything. It's all screens. So that's why they're generation screen. That's what I got. Let me tell you about generation screen and what I'm experiencing already with a five-year-old and a one-year-old. Yep. The Apple TV remote, you know, has a has voice command. And Harry normally turns the TV off. I mean, sometimes he'll like hit the button to, you know, go through that process. But most of the time, he just goes, turn off TV. Kills the TV right away. There you go. Jacob picks up any remote and will, <laughs> and will speak into it. Like it's, yeah. like, like it's like, the microphone. Because to him, and it's just funny, like the way that they consume. And, you know, I have to tell Harry, like, okay, buddy, like pause the movie. It's time for bed. Or it'll be back in the morning you know tomorrow's saturday you can pick it up then oh my god it's, it's like he's gonna miss it and i'm like yeah man you don't know what it's like to miss yeah TV no shit or a movie like yeah. we were lucky if we taped it 
and if it taped right, well, and, and for the, me, the tape didn't run out. My earliest thing was set. Yeah, and, my earliest memories were not even the taping. Uh, my earliest memories were things like you know, my mom and I, I've told this story before, but I love it. Is I love nothing more than the Planet of the Apes and the the local station. I think it was uh, I think it was KSN or Cake here in Kansas in Wichita. They would run a marathon once a year of all of the Planet of the Apes movies, but it was all night long. I mean, it was literally started at eight yeah. o'clock at night and went until fucking 6 a.m. the next morning. And my mom would set me up. She would create a, a, a like a, a, you know, one of, one of those, a card table, like a card table fort. She'd set up the card table and put a sheet over it. I would have pillows inside. The TV would be right in front of it. I would have uh, a, a bowl of Snickers and peanuts. And a big, you know, like a big two liter or whatever, a bunch of soda. And I would sit all fucking night and watch all of them. And the thing is, you couldn't pause it to pee. You couldn't, you know, there's still commercials. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and if, and if it started to go out, you had to move the rabbit ears. I remember that. That's you know, the, your kids are never going to know that. I remember rabbit ears. Yeah. They'll never know. Yeah. It's one of the, actually, it's one of the things I thought was funny. I wrote this because it made me laugh. Um, I love for generation for, for the cynics and slackers. Da, 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 I just thought this was a funny. They said the eighties when we came of age was an era of tremendous population growth around the world, surpassing the 1970s and the 1990s and arguably being the largest in human history during the eighties, the world population grew from 4.4 to 5.3 billion people. I could tell, I could tell a member of Generation Screen, I used to get 10 CDs for a penny in the mail, and I can't be sure if she thinks I'm lying about what a CD is, what a penny is, what the mail is, or all three. And that's, you know, it's exactly like yeah. that. It's like, the, the, you know, and it's not like, oh, we had it better. We just had it really it's seriously different. different. Yeah. It's just different. This is something I went through with, um, well, <laughs> first I want to go back and just talk about, like the, the generations here. So I just, I kind of want to brag about my dad for a second. My dad okay. is prototypical baby boomer born in 1950. He's not a, he's not a baby boomer. He's a rock and roller, a rock and roller. All okay. right. We're going to keep using these until somebody yeah. picks it up. Like Gertrude so Stein. He used to tape videotape all the TV shows because like he'd have meetings at night or he would work late or we had sports stuff. So he'd come home and then he could watch his, you know, Melrose place and LA law and, night court or you know whatever the hell it was. yeah all the stuff and really he was like he was tivo before tivo yeah and i remember when tivo came out i had i was working at the radio station and i had access to like a tivo and like a year's free account you know through the, the prize cabinet and i was like you know dad i can score you one of these if you really want one He's like, no, I've got a system. It's fine. I'm like, but I've got a system. Here. I've got a system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, yeah. this system looked like, the, yeah. what's that show where they, they open up the uh, the storage units and they go through the oh, storage oh, you know, Storage like, wars. Yeah. Storage wars. Yeah. He just had like, the family room was just like stocked with tapes. You know? <laughs> it was like Monday night, Fox. Yeah. Monday night, NBC. Like, he had them on all the TVs. Anyway. Um. What were we talking about? Talking about the generations. You want to brag about your dad. But there was something else before that that I was going to talk about that was more important. Ah, god damn it. You're tired. I am tired. Yeah. Well, the thing, and the thing is, this is the thing about the generations. I know, you know, oh, it, I okay, got it. Go. I got go. it. Sorry. Yes, that's all right. 
things aren't better or worse. They're just different. Yeah. When I was writing the camp book, you know, I was going back generations to talk to people. So I would hear stories from somebody who went to camp in 1939 and then hear stories from somebody who's there in 67 stories, people who were there in 84. I was there through the nineties. Um, you know, then talk to people who were there in the two thousands, all the stories. I mean, they were very different, but they were all the same. The experiences yeah. were all similar. And what I learned is like, cause I'd talk to people and they're like, Oh, it's dumb now. Cause like there's a totem pole or they changed this on that. And dude, it's like, yeah, things change. Yeah. But like, but it doesn't make it better or worse. It just makes it different. But even for how different things are, things growing up, experiencing your coming of age, all those beats are still the same. Harry and Jacob will not know what it's like to play with the rabbit ears or the phone rings in the house on the landline. Yeah. And you don't know who's calling or who it could be for. Exactly. I got Yeah. You all run for it. And there's the mom, get off. I got it. Or, you know, all or, yeah, whatever it was. But what they'll have is the internet going out. And instead of being able to try and solve the problem with rabbit ears, they have to sit there and wait. You know, yeah, yeah, so they they can't do. Tom well, it's and fixes it. it's well, you know, it's sort of like I remember. I remember when I was my first car was a 1951 Chevy, and I bought it for like 700 bucks. It was it was falling apart. It needed to, so I had to learn how to fix a car by rebuilding the engine from scraps. You know, I had to go to scrapyards and find a generator, then you know, and all that kind of stuff. And now I look at my Prius. I don't know how to fix a fucking thing in that goddamn Prius. I mean, it's all, it's, it's all computerized. So I don't, I couldn't fix. If yeah. my Prius fell apart on the road, I, I'm just, I, the best I got is to just kind of, cause it's, it's a small car. So I could probably just like throw it on my, throw it on my back yeah. and just walk away. But I mean, it's, but I couldn't fix it. <laughs> There's no fixing right. to it. And what I think is interesting, because I agree with you that most of our formative stuff is the same, but what I do think, and I don't think it's true for everybody of a generation, because as you pointed out, those that were born in the beginning of a generation aren't the same as those that were born at the end of a generation. There's some different things. So I think that, you know, I think it, I don't, uh, I guess what I find useful about the labels about sort of is sort of looking at that march of time. And what I do think is reaction times. I mean, you know, you look at the 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 kids that were there for World War One. Okay, so what if they were born in 1918? Well, they went through the Great Depression, so they had well, you know, and, and I mean, let's do easy math. Take somebody who's born in 1900. Yeah, they were 17, 18 years old when they went to World War One. Yeah. They were 24 years old when my grandmother was born. Yeah, yeah. So when Nani was a baby, Nani, or forget Nani, Poppy, who was yeah. who went to war in 1922, he was born. So here's a person who, when my grandfather was born, this person who fought in World War One was 22 years old and had already seen the, the fucking, fucking world. Horrible, well, human, but, you know, like, again, but wow. going back and saying, okay, let's, take, let's look at that generation. They didn't have... High school. I mean, there, there was a, there was secondary education in the country in, in different pockets, but it wasn't mandatory. It was public, public education existed and you were required to get to at least eighth grade. But beyond that, you were not required. So the concept, what we think of as high school, when we think about the breakfast club or even like Greece, you know, we think about what high school is people born from the 1900s up until the forties 
didn't have that kind of social experience. Yeah. That that social experience is a very specific and very different that, you know, it's like the jocks and the socias and all that, that stuff existed, but probably not in any kind of codified way, because by the time they were, you know, of, of high school age, they were working. They were working yeah. on the farm or they were working on the assembly line or whatever it was. They were fucking working because that was the thing. And, and that's kind of how it worked. And we were largely an agrarian uh society so there was a lot of farmers which is why the dust bowl fucking decimated the country because so much of the country were farmers so can you that, imagine that it's so thing? very different for harry's generation and i don't know what's going to happen in his generation right. but but right. but i know that the experience that experience is completely different our experience was completely different from that experience and because of it 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 does in some ways uh, merit sort of a, a an astrological sign, you know. It merits that, yeah. For the most part, not everybody, certainly not all situations. For the most part, this particular generation tends to behave in this specific way because of these external factors that that the history was kind of playing out on them. I wonder if they'll ever do a rename on. Uh, let's see, hang on, which generation are we talking about? Harry and Jake's, the screen generation. And maybe break it out and, you know, where up to 2018 is the the pandemic generation or the COVID generation. And then 2019 to whatever is and, and, something else. Well, and, and I think that, I think, you know, I think by the time we get to the, but by the time Harry comes of age, I think we'll probably, because when was he born? What year? 28th, March of 2018. Okay. So he's, all right. He's kind of in the middle. So probably, yeah, I would say probably by 2020, probably the, the kids that are, are right now are sort of the coming of age during this generation. And so that, you know, at least by the rules that I set, that's the thing. So what's happening. And I think maybe you're right. I think the pandemic, um, you know, is a big, big deal. Yeah. I don't know if it eclipses the, you know, because that's the thing is those kids that were in high school suddenly had to learn all of their school on a fucking screen. They never had prom. They never had. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they were watching. They didn't, they didn't have their freshman year in college. And they the were watching laptops to learn, and so their high school experience was severely interrupted because they they were they were doing it through a screen. So it's, I think that's fascinating. And but it's I think hard it's hard for a high school kid, but for Harry, you know, he was two. He turned, yeah, he turned two the day that everything shut down, or three days after, six days after, whatever. Whenever his birthday is, um, <clears throat> you know, so, but for him to have to wear a mask in daycare is, you know, when you're two, like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to remember change. it. You're not going to remember he it. Yeah. You know, he just, he got to stay home a lot with his mom and dad and watch Sesame street, you know, great life. He didn't miss his friends. He didn't miss out on things the way that the high school kids did, but they're still in the same block as you would. Yeah. It, so yeah, it, there is, there are some differences. There's a lot of disillusion, <coughs> excuse me, there's a lot of disillusionment that, and I think it starts with our generation, disillusionment in the concept of an American dream, because each generation from the beginning of the century, the 20th century, really the, the mandate was that you, you wanted to make sure that your kids had it better than you did. 
And I think we were the first generation where that that wasn't exactly going to happen that way. Um, and, you know, and part of that was like we grew up uh, in the 70s. There was the sexual revolution, and all of a sudden, divorces started spiking, and single-parent families really started coming to – I mean, that became a big deal. The nuclear family really took a big hit in the 70s, which meant Mm – we were a lot of us were latchkey kids where it was. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, I remember the, uh, it was like, it was a commercial that I remember. Uh, I don't know if it was 78 or nine or whatever it was, but I remember it was like a, you know, one of those more, you know, type things, but it was like, yeah. do you know where your kids are? Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and it's like previous generations, that was not something you thought about but in the 80s in the early in the late 70s and the early 80s that was a legitimate thing because mom and dad were both working there was no stay-at-home parent for the most part for a lot of people and so the kids just kind of fucking ran wild which is yeah. why we you know and 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 we, we all- keys on our necks i never had a key around my neck but like you would tie your uh, take an old shoelace yeah i, was, I had so I, many friends that did that like, i did it with the yeah. Feet tucked into yeah. The yeah yeah that's exactly right i had that you know and two is that, that i experienced as a kid because I, I don't know that I was I, I would not consider myself a latchkey kid that said there were plenty of times I would walk home from school yeah and mom would mom would be on a gig because mom was a stay-at-home mom for the most part when we were little but then she would take modeling gigs or like trade show gigs so she'd be out a couple times a year for a week here and there um but yeah you know we had a garage code thing that had a house key let ourselves in do whatever I walked to and from elementary junior what? high and high school but the thing that was really big for me when i was a kid like the danger was kidnapping we had the stranger danger see and i think that's i think that's the game there was that's that's like the 14 year difference for us because i didn't have that what was interesting and i my mom just told my mom just told too many last kids getting picked up because they weren't parents around and and what was funny i was a kid they learned like hey they learned oh this is stranger danger yeah um i I, the two things that i remember about that time and my mom actually told me this story today so i want to relate it because it made me laugh because i don't remember doing this but i love this story because it really indicates first of all me you know, I was like, I'm not that different than when I was in first grade. But when I when I was like in first grade, we had uh, my mom worked three jobs at the time. She was uh, I think she was single uh, or looking, whatever. Um, and we had this babysitter, Marianne. And after school, we would go to Marianne's house and she would feed us and take care of us till my mom was off work. Well, I hated that because Marianne had her own kids and we were there with a bunch of other kids. She was being paid to watch. She didn't really watch us. She didn't really give a fuck what we were doing. The story my mom told, and I think this is hysterical. We were talking about learning about, you know, justice and fairness in the world. And she told me a story today where she was like, yeah, when you were in first grade, I remember that uh, you and and this, this boy was bullying you. And you finally fought back. You know, he'd been, he'd been like beating on you for like a straight week. And you finally stood up to him and just knocked the shit out of him. And the teacher punished both of you. And you didn't think that was fair. So your response, my response as a first grader was I just left. I just, I walked out of school. I just, as a first grader, I just fucking split. That's if that's bullshit. And I split. Yeah. And they and they called my mom and said, "We don't know where he is. He just left school, 
So my mom leaves work and is driving around. And I apparently she found me sitting on a curb, like a block away from the school, just kind of hanging out. Do you remember this? I don't. That's the thing. This is my mom. All right. I don't actually remember this, but mom told the story. So I'm assuming it's true. But yeah, that, 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 then she got out of the car, sat down on the curb with me, asked me why I was out there. I basically told her it wasn't fair because he'd been beating on me. And I finally fought back and I got punished too. And that wasn't fair. And so she had to explain to me as a first grader that life was never really going to be fair. Yeah. And that, you know, and and that you can't just walk out of school, which I learned that life was never fair, but I never learned that if it's just bad, I'm just going to fucking bolt. Cause I, you know, I fuck you. I don't have to play this game. And I think that's, I think that's very funny. That's a very different experience than say your dad. You know, you didn't fucking leave school. Are you fucking kidding me? You were a delinquent if you left school. You know, you were labeled a juvenile delinquent. You know, it's a totally different thing. And then you see kids today, and I know it's not as rampant as the videos online show, but you see kids that just mouth the fuck off to their teachers. You see grown people mouthing off to cops. Never would have happened. In my generation, our generation... I would never mouth off to a cop. It wouldn't matter who Dude. the fuck I was. You know, it was just, that was just stupid. In third grade. There you go. Second grade. So this for me, how old are you in second grade? You're what? You're like, uh, you're like seven, eight. Yeah. Seven, seven eight, eight years old. Yeah. So second and third grade, I had these two teachers. So I'm like seven, eight years old. That's 1986, 87. Second grade, Mrs. Fitzgerald. Mean old bitch. Ooh, she was just, she was real bony and kind of like witchy almost because she had this like, you know, little, little, little high voice and she yep. was just real bony and long. And, um, <laughs> Michael Woodruff had been sharpening his pencil in his desk. Like they had the, you know, the desk with the open middle mm-hmm. was sharpening his pencil and had left shavings on the floor underneath his desk. And she saw that and she comes over, she's like, and flips her shit. On Michael Woodruff, then flips his desk, just like literally picks it up, yep. dumps it out, and she goes, now clean it all up. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Because there were rules about, you know, if you're going to sharpen it, like, don't, the rule was don't have a sharpen. We have sharpeners on the wall. Yeah. You had the rules. Follow the rules. The other yeah. one about mouthing off, third grade Mrs. Hedegaard, the opposite of Mrs. Fitzgerald, but even meaner she was oh, just short and dumpy like, yeah. like 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 the tall lanky bony witch's other evil sister yeah yeah just like short and dumpy jeff keenan was mouthing off to her and she we were teaching we, we were in math you know math class she has the the teacher book which is you know the, the textbook but it's thicker and bigger because it has all the answers and all the other shit in it and i just i Keenan was sitting like a row next to my to my left and like two seats back. Alyssa Khan, who was the smartest girl in class, went on to one of my like best friends growing up, went on to be valedictorian of high school. Um, she was sitting right in front of right behind Jeff Keenan. So Keenan's mouthing off to her. Mrs. Hedegaard slams the book, and in just one fluid motion, book slam, it's chucks it, it's flying across the room. At Jeff Keenan's head. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's maybe five feet away from him. And it just, I mean, it's going fast. And Jeff ducks. Oh, shit. 
and it hits the oh, yeah. smartest person in oh, the Oh, that's brilliant. Mac in the head, and nothing happened to anybody. No, no. Mrs. Hedegaard didn't lose dude, her job. Dude, okay, in high school. Like, <laughs> all right, all right. When I was a freshman in high school, freshman in high school, I just want to, I just want to set this up. Freshman in high school. So this is like 1980, 81. Okay. And I was really angry. I mean, and I didn't know why I was just, I was super fucking angry and I was walking around school with a fucking aluminum baseball bat. I mean, I just carried it with me. I was like, I, I just, I was an immediate. You could do that. You could carry a baseball bat. Yeah, nobody stopped me. Right? the hallways. I, class. Exactly. And I was fucking angry. And mom yeah. got real concerned. So she went to uh, the, the, the driver's ed instructor, Mr. Cooley. And Mr. Cooley uh, had a program. And I say that with quotes. A program for at-risk youth in our high school. And mom had to sign a waiver. And she signed the waiver. And so after school, um, like three times a week after school, I had Cooley was your daddy. Yeah. Well, I had to, well, I'm telling this and I'm not making this shit up. The first day I came I in, how weird this is going to get, but whatever it is, I 100% yeah. believe it. It's yeah. It, no, it, 81. Yeah. I, the first day I sit down and I'm, it's like this fucking tiny little room, one desk. And, uh, and he comes in. And he and he starts talking to me, and I'm I'm pissed that I have to be there. What the fuck, you know? And I'm a mouthy smartass, and I I smart off to him. I I don't even know what I said. This fucking grown man fucking clocks me. He punches me right in the fucking side of the head, knocks me to the ground. Oh my god! And I'm like, what the fuck? And he pulls out the piece of paper, and it's the waiver my mom signed. He said, "You can't do a fucking thing." Oh three he said three times a week you're mine you either play the game or i'm gonna clock i don't remember what he said but he said basically basically the threat was implied if you mouth off i'm gonna knock the shit out of you every time wow now what i will say is in hindsight the lessons that he taught me over six weeks because it was like three times a week for six weeks the lessons that he taught me over those six weeks were the foundation of me being able to get a hold of my temper he did a really good thing for me. He really did a really good thing for me. I was always an obnoxious kid. You know, I, I remember, I remember, I, I remember Mr. Restivo, who was our vice principal. And he was, he was sort of like, he looked like Carmine Ragusa. He was this big fucking <laughs> Italian, you know, you know, whoppy guy. Loved Restivo. But Restivo, my, again, my freshman year, um, I one day got one of the, you know, those, those bubbly cafeteria glasses that are not quite clear. They're kind of plastic and yeah. bubbly. All right. Yeah. I found one of those, went into the boys room. Somebody had left a great big turd in the toilet. So I put it in the glass oh my and I, God. and I went and I put it on his desk and you know, there's no fingerprints. How the fuck? I mean, I'm in speech class. I don't even run a class. I was Mr. Warren's class and the, the intercom, Mr. Warren. Is Donald Hall in your classroom right now? He said, yes. He said, can you send him to my office immediately? And everyone's like, ooh. I'm like, all right. So I go in and I sit down and the glass with the turd in it is sitting right there in the center of the desk, right where I left it. And I sit down and he says, what the fuck is this, Hall? And I said, looks like a turd to me, sir. 
<laughs> he said, yeah, you're going to get suspended. I'm going to, you want in-school suspension or out-of-school suspension? I said, what? How do you know I did it? He goes, Hall, I know you did it. I said, well, I said, is out-of-school suspension, do I still get, do I still get my homework and stuff? And he goes, no. I said, all right, give me in-school suspension because I don't want my grades to suffer. And from that point on, Restivo and I had, for four years of high school, this contentious but really respectful. I mean, it, yeah. when I was a senior, I was the music man in uh, in the school musical. He yeah. played Marcellus Washington. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, it, it's like, and, and he, uh, again, this is the big Italian guy, is at one point, some of the parents came to the director, Mr. Warren, and said, some of the girls in the play in the music band are uncomfortable with Mr. Restivo. And it was, and it wasn't because he was doing anything except for the fact that he was a jock and he kept during rehearsals scratching his balls. He just, un, just unconsciously, it's not like he was doing it on purpose. It's just like his balls itched. And he was so used to just being a jock, just kind of just scratching his nuts whenever it felt like it. And it was making some of the girls uncomfortable. And so he, he, this is a grown man who came to me and he goes, Oh, I said, yeah. And he goes, did I scratch my balls a lot? I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> so none of these things could have ever happened to the iGen. Nobody, nobody in the internet, nobody, no, none of that cohort could ever say this is the kind of thing that happened because those people would be arrested. You know, a yeah. teacher that was in the play that was scratching his nuts is going to go, it, he's, he is going to go to jail. He is going to be ruined destroyed that you know and so it's fascinating to me how and and i think each generation is influenced by all of these cultural things a lot of it is technological advancement but a lot of it's just societal change yeah and i like i don't think that's a bad thing but it is something at least to recognize which is kind of why i think that the generation labels while they can end up being a pain in the ass and mostly used for marketing technique i find them that they can be useful in at least helping to identify certain behaviors millennial name was it was a pretty a good one i thought gen z and the alpha gen which is what i think technically harry's take of our it's just lazy but like that's just because that's just going off of generation x well it's not generation x is in the letter it's generation x is in like planet x if we don't know what it is it's you know that's what but it, exactly book, it know? was like, really it was a really cool name until they went with generation z and then it sounded like a lazy fucking uh, just add an alphabet to it it sucks i like gen x but i'm going cynics and slackers because that's what we are so yeah the, the cool thing about generation x in this book is that it's it's a novel but it's got um <clears throat> uh lichtenstein-esque you know, comic panels in it. And there's two that are my favorite. One of them is right at the beginning. So there's a picture of a woman holding a cup of coffee and she just, and then a speech bubble that says, don't worry, mother, if the marriage doesn't work out, we can always get divorced. And now we're sack of the news. In 
only the clowns would be left in the big top. Lawmakers are ditching Congress at a record pace. Lawmakers are ditching Congress. What do you they're, mean? Basically, there are there are more more Congress people. Congress re-election are 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 basically saying I'm done with this shit. Then then probably in, in, it's the most it's the biggest mass exodus of lawmakers in Congress that we've seen maybe ever. I mean, it's a lot, and it's just a like great they, resignation. That is kind of the greatest resignation, and that means only the people like Lauren Boebert and fucking Matt Gates are going to be left. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the problem. Is that it's that the smart ones are leaving because they're like, I got to. This is a fucking sinking ship. I'm following the rats here, while the doofuses are like, ooh. Open seat. We're first class now. Yeah, I, I, I worry. I mean, I, I'm not going to be all alarmist. Be like, democracy is crumbling. Ah, we've been down that road. But you know, it's it's, it, it does feel like it's been a a slow, uh, steady slide descent into hell. Ah. Uh, I'm not looking forward to 2024. This is going to be a long year. In this is how Skynet takes over. <laughs> this is in ZDNet.com. I tested Doritos Silent, and the AI-powered app did indeed cancel all of my crunches. It, here, and here's the subhead. While Doritos Snack Siling app is... Silencing app is intended for gamers. It works with any program that needs a microphone, including Zoom and Google Voice. And this is literally, it is an AI that while you're eating your chips, masks the sound of the crunch. This is how Skynet takes over. That's the best use of AI I've ever heard. Yeah, you know, if Skynet's going to do shit like that, I'm all for it. It's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with the robots later. In Fake tits and even faker writers. Sports Illustrated published articles by fake AI generated writers. Ooh. Ooh, guys. Guys. No. That is a stain on journalism. That is a stain on on sports. That is a stain on uh, just oh guys. And of course, I'm saying guys because because women don't write for Sports no. Illustrated. They they just get fake tits and, and and show and show them in bathing suits. Hey man, I convinced my grandparents to get me a subscription to Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I liked sports at the time, but I wanted the swimsuit edition. That was my go-to jerk-off mag. Was the swimsuit edition? Mine was Penthouse. Kid, mine mine was Penthouse. Playboy were fun, but I like Sports Illustrated because it was like left more to the imagination okay that's fair that's fair that's fair all right in his longevity secret was drinking the blood of cambodian infants henry kissinger (laughs) influential and polarizing u.s secretary of state dies at 100 years old this motherfucker died too late he should have died in the womb this goddamn son of a bitch i this motherfucker i he caught he flees germany 
because of these fucking assholes over there that are killing innocent people. So he flees for his life. And he comes to America and makes his way in politics to the, to the top of American power. And what does he do with it? He kills innocent children. Fuck Henry Kissinger. Fuck that motherfucker. Ah. In. We're now one step closer to Soylent. Kraft debuts dairy-free mac and cheese in the United States. You know me and my tummy, man. I'm all for dairy-free stuff. Give me the lactose, lactose-free shit. Give me the, give me all of it. Let's. You know what Soylent is. Aches. You know what Soylent is, right? Does it give me tummy aches? You, it's from a movie and a novel called Soylent Green. Yes. And you discover that it. We're just going to eat this non-food kind of food, not food bullshit, and that's what's going to sustain us. And it turns out that Soylent Green is people. Does it give me a tummy ache? In cutting off your nose to spite Biden's face, Muslim <laughs> Americans in swing states launch anti-Biden campaign. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to 2024, man. I'm really not. I just, you know, <laughs> you said a minute ago or earlier in the conversation that you know, what, what four-year-old who's born in 1924 or whatever, like, yeah, whatever, gives a shit about World War One, whatever that was. I'll tell you, you know, Jacob's first word was Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> he might have been saying hummus. I'm not sure. It, it could be either way. It could be either way. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just, I don't know, man. I am, the, with everything that's going on, and there's all, you know, in history, there's everything is all. What, how many times has it been said in every generation, in every year, in every generation, as defined by you? How can I bring a child into this world the way it is today? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. things today. Like, no, it's always been this way. But I feel like, again, if you look at these moments in history, we're kind of at a, like, there's. We're at a, a crux. Converging forces. We are at a crux right now. Things are getting a lot of crazy. Yeah. 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 And. 2024 it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be dark on the other hand david you can look forward to in 2024 august in fact of 2024 chicago will be the home of the democratic national convention which i think we should get press passes for and now an extraneous quote of the week to ponder as you consider life was pressing suicide. It's from Douglas Copeland's Generation X. Again, it's another uh, Lichtenstein-esque uh, picture in the book here. Hey, Dad, you can either have a house or a life. I'm having a life. <laughs> I think that, that sums up <laughs> our generation. Oh, it's yes, pretty goddamn well. That uh, you know, it yes, yes. I uh, yes, uh, I wrote a I I <laughs> I wrote a piece for my Substack 
well, it wasn't a piece. It was my uh, my weekend of a foolish attention. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was uh, it, st- it started with uh, the Jim Carrey uh, quote. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of, so they can see that that's not the answer. Yeah. And then I went off on a screed of accepting impermanence uh, about about how you know. Everything we do from the beginning of anything, a life, a house, a relationship, everything struggles on a continual state of slow decay. Nothing in human experience is designed to be permanent, yet we strive so heroically and so futilely to sustain it indefinitely as if sheer will will keep the train chugging along. And if we really believe, we will never die. This is as Gen X as anything I can, you know, it's like, yeah, and I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but yeah, yeah, that's very Gen X perspective. I can remember my right before when I, when I was going to college freshman and they were doing the orientation um, and I was in the hotel college at the time. So we're in this, you know, one of the, the auditorium rooms and we're going around the room and they were, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? You know, what do you want to do with your career? Like, why are you in this major? And everyone's going around, you know, I'm, I'm Don Hall from Wichita you know, I want to own a bunch of my own hotels and my own name and be rich. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm Don Hall from Wichita too, and I want to. Well, there's a know, lot of a, Don Halls. Yeah, it's, own it's, a chain of own a chain of restaurants and 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 small boutique hotels in Hawaii. Yeah, I'm Don Hall from Wichita, and I want to own have have my own restaurants and hotels. In 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 in, in, in Fort. Wayne, Indiana, called Don Hall's Old Gas House, which is actually yeah. a place, and I have a menu on my oh, wall. Really? Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So, you know, but everybody was like, I want to own this stuff. I I'm going to be really, really rich. Yeah. Everybody. Boom, boom. But like, I mean, without fail, there were probably like 27, 30, you know, 30 people in the, sure. in the orientation. I happen to be like the second to last to go. So it comes to me. And again, we're all freshmen in college. And maybe yeah. some of us were like returning or, you know, some of us were maybe have been 25 because like, you know, if you got a lot of like older, you know, um, those un- non-traditional students, they call yeah. them. Um, but we're, we're all basically, we're all the same generation is my point. Born around the same time. And it got to me, all these people saying they want to own all this stuff and be really rich. And I said, yeah, I'm David Hemmel. I'm from Chicago. You know, being rich would be nice and all, but as long as I'm making enough money to afford a bowl of Cocoa Puffs every morning, I'm good with that. Yeah, I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. Fuck y'all, motherfucker. You know? <laughs> yeah. Now, I have kicked myself in the dick for saying that every single day since because I wish that I had, like, a little earlier on gone, you know, I wonder if there's a way where I can still be the artist and make a little more money. There's not, or like, there's you know, not, there's not right. Yeah. There's so, not, there's not. And I, yeah. And, and, and I, I don't even know if I, I, I vocalized it, but I've never, I've just never, maybe it was because of my upbringing and my mom always having to work real hard and us getting along and my mom really fighting for us not to ever feel like we were poor. Then whenever we felt like we were poor, we'd go to Shaggy's pizza and she'd blow her entire wad so we could spend the entire day playing skee ball and eating fucking unlimited pizza. But I've always never really had any respect for money at all. And, uh, and you know, it's, yeah, so yes, yes, I, 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 that is a more Gen X, that, that, that phrase, that con, that your quote pretty much exemplifies everything I have ever done in my life. 
And I've had discussions, arguments even with my dad and my grandfather around that where they're like, why are you like when I left the hotel college to go into journalism, they were like, why are you doing that? You have to, you should stay in the business, but you need to be in business. What are you, what are you doing? That's not what I want to do, but you need to make money for your family and this. And I'm like, but I, if I'm not happy, and of course I've never been fucking happy, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other. That's, that's an entirely other. different thing. But you know, but yeah, like that's it. I can have a life or a house, and of course, you know, I had a house because of family money. Because my dad and my grandfather were businessmen. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's this is a good book. Generation. Yeah, X it's a very a good, good book. It's a and very it good book. Be read again. It's so, such I'm, a good book. It's such a I'm good book. I'm just looking through this really. You're quickly. making me want to. You're making me want to get a copy and read it again because uh, I've read it in years. But it's such a good book. Because they also have like these definitions mm-hmm. in the in the margins. Let me just mm-hmm. read you three of these really quickly that I just stumbled across. I'm going to read these three, and then I'm going to give you a th- a theory on something. So one anti-victim device or the AVD, a small fashion accessory worn on an otherwise conservative outfit which announces to the world that one still has a spark of individuality burning inside. For example, 1940s retro ties and earrings on men, feminist buttons, nose rings on women, and the now almost completely extinct teeny-weeny rat tail haircut for both sexes. Well, I remember all of those things. Although, air- although I will say in the modern age, a woman with a nose ring is an instant badge that she's bisexual, or at least says so. Oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. What I think everybody, is, is every bisexual woman, attractive. No, every well, they're very attractive, but every woman every I've ever dated, yeah. not every bi woman, or not not every woman who's bi has one. But every I mean, not, woman, not every, not every woman who has a nose ring is bi, but every bi woman has a nose ring. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Air family describes the false sense of community <laughs> experienced among coworkers in an office environment, and. Uh, cafe, love this one. Cafe minimalism. To espouse a philosophy of minimalism without actually putting into practice any of its tenets. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff, I, I need to read this again because. I got to oh read it again. God, is this becoming the millennial or the Gen Z? Like in the, the performative shit? Because that was a lot of what this book is about, is how performative. Yeah. Even in its rejection of all the other performative shit, you know. Well, we were nonconformist. You're such a poser. We You're were nonconformists. Just we like are, everyone else. We are conformist nonconformists. We yeah. said we were nonconformist, and because we all did it exactly the same way, we were basically conforming. It's like a great. I mean, South Park is great for so many reasons, but there's what the episode is called. But it's where like the emo kids and the goth kids. Yeah. And I think the vampire kids, it's like, I'm not a goth kid. I'm emo. Or I'm not emo. Those pussies, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Fucking, what's the fucking difference? You're all just a bunch of fucking posers. You're all just mopey ass, you know? Yeah. That's it. That's it. There are six things you should do this week. All right. My first thing this week is a watch tis the season I, I wanted to watch this last year and i didn't get the chance uh it is on amazon prime now violent night oh it's brilliant i saw it in the theaters yeah last year oh it's so oh good 
this movie is so much fun. It is so, and it's sweet. It's endearing. It's kind of like it, bad Santa. It's it's endearing, but it's like way. it's like bad Santa, except he's a fucking violent. I mean, you know, and John Leguizamo's great in it. Apparently, like a kind of Thor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's Viking. With he's like, well, like the <laughs> early, the old, like the the flashbacks of him killing people yeah. with his hammer is the greatest fucking shit ever. It's such a good, yeah. and it's David Harbor, and I love him. So yeah, it's, yes, yeah. What at just the beginning where he's, oh God, what is the line? He's sitting at the bar drinking the beer. Oh fuck! It's I don't know. It's just it's See, a great. The thing is, it's it, you know we we do that's 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 what we do here in the uh, the Wichita area uh, with my family is we spend Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day watching all our favorite Christmas movies. And my mom and I saw Violet this Night in the theaters for me now. This and, and, and 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 it's it, oh mom and I mom and I have already agreed. Violet Night is when we're watching uh, on Christmas Day because uh, yeah. her favorite is the 1984 uh, Scrooge Christmas Carol with uh, George C. Scott, which is my favorite oh, version of that. Okay. My nice sister, puppets version. But- my sister's, my sister's is my sister's favorite is Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. My dad's is my dad's favorite is uh, Christmas Vacation. And of course, because um, yeah. he thinks I'm cousin Eddie, and uh, which I think is hysterical. Well, floor wet, Margot. Yeah, I don't know Todd. Uh, Todd, um, and then mine we never watch. Uh, we never watch mine, um, because nobody likes it but me, which is uh, Dennis Leary's The Ref. But right. I love, I fucking love that movie. But we never watch mine because everybody else gets their shot. But at least Violet Night, I will get that this year, and that's good. Yeah, Violet Night. My, my ultimate favorite Christmas movie is is It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I, that is not my favorite Christmas. Movie. Is not even there. close. Not even close. Mixed Nuts is a silent. Is that's like a an, good. That's all right. Deep cut. I'll give you that. that. Is probably Katie's favorite right now. We, okay. we stumbled upon it like a, a couple of years ago, and it's it's really God, it's. It is screwball and it is yeah. dark. It's dark, yeah. But because it's all about a suicide hotline and a murder. Yes, yes. And and hilarity and stuff. There you go. All right. My first thing is a read. It is in the free press, uh, dot com. It is called The Fight for the Future of Publishing. Uh, the subheads by Alex Perez. The subhead is ideological fanatics and fear have crippled the major houses, but new book publishers are rising up to take the risks. They won't. And there's a big call to, for Substack. There, there's a great story in this in this article. There's a great story about a woman who said, I can't get my book published. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to publish it on a Substack newsletter as a serialized, sort of like you did Hope Idiotic. And she made, she suddenly started making like $30,000 a month on this fucking book. She made more oh, money, shit, more money. <laughs> she made more money on Substack than she would have ever made doing it through traditional publishing. And it yeah. really is, it's, I mean, he's got a little bit of a, a an ax to grind um, because he yeah. is a Cuban American who has written some very masculine stories and cannot get his shit published. Um, but it's a, it, that aside, it's a very good read. The fight for the future of publishing in the free press. Okay. My next thing is, uh, it's a read. I already told you to read Generation X. We won't count that. This has yeah. been uh, Time Magazine. Um, should we end obesity? 
The mm. weight loss drug explosion has forced a reconsideration of what quote unquote healthy means by Jamie Ducarme or Ducamre or get an easy name, Jamie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it looks at how we talk about obesity and what is health and what like the difference between you know, society's view of what healthy looks like or what and what healthy actually is. Yeah. It's, it's a different thing. Story. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I read a thing about BMI and, and how BMI has been useless, but now with these new drugs, BMI has changed their cha doctors are changing their view of BMI in a more positive way. So it's like all right, yeah. Well, because a BMI is like your weight based on your your height. height. Yeah. And it, it But if you're a short it doesn't account for it doesn't want to difference well, I mean, fat and muscle. Well, the thing is, like LeBron James would be considered overweight, which is stupid, but that's because right. he's huge. All right. Yeah. My second thing is a read, also a read. It is in Quillette.com, Black Progress and Black Rage by Joshua Murovich. It's a new, basically, he talks about a new biopic about Bayard Rustin, who I know you don't know who that is, and the New York Mets opera about the life of Malcolm X, who I know you do do, celebrate very different notions of black struggle. And one of the things that he kind of points out in a really good way is that Bayard Rustin was, he he basically was the inspiration for Dr. Martin Luther King. He This guy was fucking badass. He was, he he did the first labor march on Washington with black, you know, men. And, but his point is that that the anger, the rage, sells better, which is why we know more about Malcolm X and nothing about Bay Bayard Rustin. And Bayard Rustin was like a serious, serious civil rights leader. And so it's it, like I said, I think it's a really, really interesting comparison contrast about these two men specifically but really sort of an overall thing is like okay how much how much does the rage how much press does the rage get versus how much actual shit getting done does the rage get and you know Baird Rustin was absolutely nonviolent and absolutely would not be outraged and did not let anger fuel his thing yeah. and at the end of the day he got way more accomplished than the angry people I mean, look, it's really interesting. It's a really look, good read. If you, if you look at, at video footage, newsreel footage, photographs from the signing of the Civil Rights um, Civil Rights Act or the yeah. Voting Rights Act, you see Dr. King in those pictures. You don't see Malcolm. No. Not that Malcolm's been shot yet. Wait, what year was Malcolm shot? Hang on. I, I, don't look it up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but the point is, and the point is, is, is that Malcolm X was a part of the nation of Islam. The nation of Islam is, it's sort of like the, 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 the headline, the, you know, you know, the Muslim students that are, that are protesting Biden with, without understanding what choice that leaves them. That's kind of, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what, uh, was going on and, and is going on with this outrage. It does outrage sells. It's very sexy. It makes the news. It doesn't actually generally accomplish much. It doesn't really, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't actually do anything. So I think, yeah, like I said, it, it makes me want to see this biopic about Bayard Rustin, which is produced by, uh, Barack Obama, by the way. I know he's a very unknown. He's sort of a a new independent uh, producer, but yeah. Oh, okay. But I'm 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 excited to see it. I want to see this biopic, and uh, because it's a he is a character in the the history of civil rights 
that no one I've talked to since reading this article has ever heard of. And he's a Shirley Chisholm. He seriously, he's a big I mean, fucking favorite deal. Favorite things to do is to ask white feminists if they know who Shirley Chisholm is, and if and they usually don't. They don't. They usually don't. They usually don't. Because white feminists are my third thing to do this week. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm the asshole for doing it. You know, what do I know? Like, I'm, I'm just a, a white male feminist, whatever. I'm just trying to lean into the feminine, feminicological. Don't, 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 don't apologize. Right. Don't apologize for your misogyny. Just go with it. <laughs> you know. Look, I'm we're a all, to my time. It's my we're, generation. It was we're we're time. we're the cynics and the slackers. And as yeah. men, we had to wrestle with being both Daniel Larusso and Johnny Lawrence. Yeah, John Rambo and Phil Donahue. It's just a real <laughs> fuck you in your mind. It's like, how do we justify? How do we do this? No, that's exactly it. I, how do we do I, this shit? Uh, it's funny. Like I wanted to be Daniel Larusso when I was a kid. Now I want to be Johnny Lawrence. And you are Daniel Larusso as an adult, and I am Johnny Lawrence as an adult. So it's too bad. I don't know. No, I don't know. I think that I'm more Johnny Lawrence. Like if we're looking at Danny, Daniel, and and Johnny now, like you know, in Cobra Kai, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Larusso is an asshole. He's a selfish. Self-absorbed, petty asshole. Well, so I, I is John. So is Johnny Lawrence. So is Johnny Lawrence. The difference is sort of what they're willing to accept about themselves. You, yeah. you really. That's the reason I say you're more Daniel Lawrence is, is you really struggle with making sure that what you say and you do is perceived as being the right thing. And I stopped giving a fuck about that's that true. years ago. And that's the difference between Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. They both are living the same world, but Daniel still really wants everybody to love him. And Johnny doesn't give a fuck. And that is the difference. What I think I'm going to do to fall asleep tonight is I'm going to go onto YouTube and I'm going to find the best Johnny Lawrence clips from Cobra Oh, and you'll know it's me. And when you watch it, you'll go, God damn, that is Don Hall. Fuck. My third thing this week is a watch. It's back. Fifth season. Fargo on FX. God damn it, this is good. I. It's... I mean, of course, it's a stacked cast because that's what Fargo does. They cast incredibly well. Yeah. But you've got um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who's choose a lot of scenery. But I think that's kind I of love her. I love her, man. I think she's genius. Juno Temple from. Uh, yeah. And I love uh, her from uh, Ted Lasso. She's done a lot more than that. That that was yeah. her. That's her lighter. Ted Lasso was her doing light comedy. She's done some dark fucking shit she is such a great actress and maybe the sexiest human being walking the planet earth yeah she's too bony for me oh oh god i think she's the sexiest fucking thing the only the only woman i think is sexier than her is chris is christina ricci she's the only person i think is sexier than Gina temple interesting okay i mean it doesn't surprise me you say that but yeah um but yeah, she's uh, dude, incredible. dude, yeah, I got a, she's playing. I got a, is, I got uh, a hard on for Juno Temple that that lasts. It goes to figure across, out how to this. It goes across the street and bumps into people and hits people, and they go, "What is this? Is it a dick? Is this a dick? Yes, it is." But it, and and then the little penis hole says, "Juno." Ew. Yeah, I know that's really gross. John Hamm is in it this yeah. season, and he is. I love John Hamm. 
Amazing. I just love the John Hamm. Brother, I know, yeah, like John, and look, he's my doppelganger. I'm gonna watch everything he's in. You Dude, know? Like, you know it's the funniest, and I think I've told this story before. The my favorite John Hamm reference to me is I remember in Chicago, and this was when I was smoking cigarettes, and I was out on the street, and I had one cigarette left. I was smoking it, and this guy, this I don't know, just a beggar, whatever. This guy is like, hey, 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 can I buy a square? And I said, yeah, this is my last one, and he starts insulting me. But he's not good at insulting people. And he says, yeah, fine, you John Hamm-looking motherfucker. And I looked at him and I went, that's not a good insult, man. That's a really shitty in- Thank you. That is really, you're not accomplishing your goal with that insult. So I thought that was funny. That is good. Yeah, my- Fargo, season five. All right, my third thing is it's it's... It's conflicting for me, but it's so goddamn fun to watch. Squid Game The Challenge. It is on Netflix. Now, the thing that's interesting about Squid Game The Challenge is you've you've seen Squid Game. No. Okay. Squid Game. All right. Squid Game is a South Korean uh and I know what it is. Series, yeah. and it was made by a guy who is criticizing capitalism and saying it's basically about a bunch of secret billionaires who've organized these games for working class people to do the shittiest things they can do to each other so that they can win this big prize at the end and that's the series is brilliant and it's a brilliant satire of capitalism netflix doubled down and they created a reality game show based on squid game and it, it uses the most of the same things it's the same 456 people start they're gonna the last person standing wins 4.56 million dollars it's the biggest prize in history and they have to do some of the shittiest stuff and it's so it's so brutal it's the meanest competition I've ever seen now saying that that it completely it is actually what was being satirized in the, yeah. in the show. It's they they created the thing that was being satirized as a serious thing. On the other hand, it's one of the best goddamn unpredictable, mean spirited fucking reality shows. I just want to. I just got to throw this. I just. I'm not. I'm not going to give anything away because I really think you should watch it because it will fuck your mind over. But when they get down to like eight people. The game they have playing, because they're all like children's games. The game they have to play is called Circle of Trust, right? And these are people that have spent a couple of weeks together, and some people hate each other. They kind of have a a sense of, okay, so they're all sitting in a circle with these huge blindfolds, blindfolds on. And in the center of a circle is a pedestal with, like, looks like a present, like a black wrapped present. Mm-hmm. And they the the Squid Game guys with their masks walk around and they duck duck goose somebody. Okay, they tap somebody on the shoulder. That person has to take off their blindfold, go get the present, and put it on somebody else's desk that can't see them do it, and then quietly sit back down and put their thing on. And then they everybody takes off their. I know that everybody takes their blindfolds off. The person who now has the gift has to guess who put it in front of them. If they guess right, that person that put it in front of them is eliminated from the game completely. If they guess wrong, they are eliminated from the game completely. This is the most fucking cutthroat reality game show I have ever seen. 
absolutely it's i mean it is it's conflicting because yeah i'm now i feel like now i'm one of the secret billionaires watching people fucking do shitty things to each other for my entertainment but i gotta tell you it's a fucked up show and i love it i i god damn it's crazy it made me a little less happy when i realized that the guy that created and wrote squid game isn't getting any money for this game show he signed away his rights he signed he he created this story yeah the original guy from south korea created this nobody wanted to do it that every all the producers thought it was too dark netflix picked it up made him sign it well made him he signed a thing that basically gave him a cursory and then it became this mega fucking hit and netflix is creating an entire squid game universe behind it and this guy is getting jack shit for it. So his satire is also his reality. Oh it's God. crazy. And I still can't not watch it. So Squid yeah. Game, the challenge, it is so fucked up. I don't even know how to describe how bizarrely, painfully, really painfully. <laughs> dude, there's a mother and son that are in the competition together. And you know, she's an older woman. She was like like the first woman athlete to get a scholarship to Yale or something like that. I mean, she like she's a she was a really badass when she's younger. Well, now she's she's an older lady. She's like in her seventies, but she's you know. And her son, who was never good at sports, is joining with his mom. So they're together. At one point, I'm not going to give anything away. At one point, all of the contestants that are left get a reward, which is you get a picnic. So pick somebody you want to have your picnic with. And so they pair up with their their allies, with their friends. And in the bottom of the picnic basket, because it's a full picnic, they get the good food. But in the bottom are two sacks of marbles. And in the show, that means you have to eliminate the person you're having the picnic with. So the mother and son have to go into a competition against each other to see who which one is eliminated. It is so fucking brutal. This game is so brutal. You can't not watch it. That's all I'm saying. Wow. All right. And that, my friends, is the show. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on literateape.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you go to get that delicious podcast experience. If you enjoy the dulcet sounds of two white guys babbling about whatever comes into their stunted brains, leave us a review anywhere that, you know, reviews are left. And share it with someone whom which you have a dubious relationship. For information about Literate Ape, Go to literateape.com, of course, and check out the rest of our podcasts and our years of scribbling. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. <laughs> <laughs>